Well, hello. Hello, hello, Mr. Hayden. How are you? Good, good. Nice. Hey, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. My name is Steve Joel. I'm a radio host and a big fan of Warhammer 40,000. Are you in the Bay Area? You're in the... You're, yeah, I'm in the Bay Area, yeah. You're, yeah, you're geographically close to Adrian and Brian and the, the team, right? Yeah, I'm like a 30-minute drive from either... Uh, oh, hours to Brian, a 30-minute drive to Adrian. This podcast is one of a series of conversations with the people who have changed the way we play, paint, collect, read, or consume 40K. However you get your fix, I want you to meet... The Game Changers. I was a little nervous about this because you're, um, I think it's fair to say, have been a controversial figure in the game from time to time over the years. I am the opposite to that. I'm so (laughs) non-confrontational. I'm just like, man, I don't know. My whole goal here in this whole series of podcasts is to celebrate the game and celebrate the careers of people who are in it. But you're an influencer. Well, but the title is Game Changers. Yeah, yeah you're an influencer. The title is Game Changers, and, and you you have changed the game. This is episode six, and today we're deep diving into the history and motivation of a man who's courted some of the hottest controversy over the past few years. This episode of 40K Game Changers is brought to you by the Frontline Gaming 40K Events Express Pass, a virtual ticket for any three events run by Frontline Gaming through to the end of 2022. Events like the LVO, the BAO, SoCal, the New Orleans Open. There are 14 events to choose from. You just pick any three and save over 23% on the ticket price on average. Get a COVID-proof express pass soon, though, as there are only a few of these left. The link is in our show notes. Okay, let's get started. We're recording now, and I'll I'll do do the intro, and we'll get into the chat. Is that okay? That sounds perfect. Here we go. My guest today runs one of the most influential and long-running websites in the game. He's a YouTuber, a writer, a 40k tournament player. He counts some of the biggest names in the game as good friends. And among other things he gets called, he goes by the handle Tasty Taste. In real life, his name is Nick Hayden, the man behind the popular 40k news site Blood of Kittens. Nick, thank you for being here. How are you? I'm doing well, you know, just uh, quarantining it up, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, been my life. So it's just me behind a computer, so not not much has changed actually. In that yeah, sense. it's yeah. We will, look. We'll touch on COVID later on in the chat. This this because it's just everyone's everything at the moment is yep. is locked down and quarantined and one way or another unable to just get to places. Hey, but you got it lucky in New Zealand, so. <laughs> yeah, New, New <laughs> you're, Zealand, you're the, I, I don't want to rub anyone's nose in anything. We're like, and touch wood, at the moment, everything's okay here uh, yeah. at the time of recording, but yeah. It, it helps being an island, though. I will, I will, you have to take that as a credit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, there's no, there's no, we're, we're, we're geographically shut off, which is bad in a lot of ways, but this time has worked in our favour. Um, yep. But I want to start with this, though. Blood of Kittens, where does that name come from? Why Blood of Kittens for your website? Um, long story short, it is just, um, just a marketing tool name. Basically, um, you know, it started off as just, I thought of something that would be evocative and that would catch people's eye and you wouldn't forget it. So, and it also makes a really simple acronym to be BOC. 
So yeah. that's the reason why I chose it. Um, and I like cats a lot. Um, so I just thought it was kind of <laughs> funny to be like the blood of kittens. So a lot of people question it. Um, honestly, I, I, my plan was to like five years in change the name. Cause I was waiting for, um, a year or while to come up. There was this, uh, uh, make the story even longer. I said long story short, but we'll make it longer, is that um, there's a type 2 whatever, um, I can't really call them Moogs, Mogs, but they're old school uh, RPGs that you just type and it's all text. And I was waiting for this URL called Realms of Chaos to go up because this was this defunct product, but they've never, it's never gone online to buy that domain. So I have since waited to that to change Blood of Kittens to that. But uh, as it is, as Blood of Kins for now and probably Blood of Kins for eternity. We're still waiting. We're still waiting for yeah, that. Yeah, we're still waiting. <laughs> but yeah. in the future, if we see Realms of Chaos, it's that could well be you. Okay. Yes, exactly. It's funny for someone who likes cats, though, to, to Blood of Kittens is quite, as you say, evocative, and it doesn't it doesn't bode well for the cat. Yeah, exactly. Um, and while we're on names, Tasty Taste? So Tasty Taste is just a – it's basically just a I'm, – I'm an old person, so I've had uh, – the same video, uh, basically from video games, playing from yeah. uh, MMOs from back in the day, like EverQuest and uh, and um, Tribes 2, which is a uh, first-person shooter back in the 90s. It's just stuck from that, but it does. I am. It is a. It is a thievery. I am stealing from a, a um, a uh, game. Uh, not a game. From a movie called um, Fear of the Black Hat, which is also a 90s movie that's very obscure. And one of the characters in there is Tasty Taste, and so I just straight up stole from that, and that's how I got it. And it stuck because. Get, the movie's so obscure, no one remembers it. So right. uh, I, I get to claim it. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to steal from stuff no one's heard of, so that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's and it's kind of uh, again, it's like it's evocative, and people remember it, and and it really has. St- it's like a few other guys uh, in the 40k world who who got their names because they just originally were online handles, and they're still known for those names. Tell me about little Nikki Hayden growing up in the the 80s and early 90s. Are you into nerdy things at that stage? Do you have rock star dreams? Do you want to play in the NFL? <laughs> what's the what's what's um, your thing? No, I was just into nerdy things. Um, the classics, D and D. You know, I got into that. Um, me and my local friends got into that. Uh, uh, it was '89 is when I went to a D now of course defunct hobby store and saw. Uh, the book Rogue Trader and also a box of Adeptus Titanicus in plastic and bought those two products and uh, me and my core group of uh, grade school friends uh, got together and we started playing and that is how I delve into 40k but yeah just a nerd growing up uh, you know I, I got in more into sports into basketball later but uh, for the most part 90% of my life is nerd stuff uh, D&D to 40k and to um, I hate to say it, a little bit of improving with uh, with live action role playing and doing Vampire the Masquerade when that was the hottest, coolest thing in the '90s, um, and I did that. So, uh, so yeah, pretty much just a nerd through and through, video games, everything that goes in, it, all that stuff. Well, you know what? I didn't know about the improving. I really want to go down that road now of, <laughs> of, of improv because you know that um, we were talking about this a, a moment ago. I only uh, came to realize who you were in your connection with Blood of Kittens because I saw you on a battle report. But even there, you have a big personality. You do seem like someone who, this is why I said rock star dreams, you come across from someone who doesn't know you as a person who could easily be a performer. So that is that something that was part of your life growing up as well? Um, yeah, I did musical. I mean, I, I I did basic level stuff. I mean, I I I did choir musicals. I did acting. I did acting all the way up to junior college, and then decided no, I want to do my real passion passion at the time. And it still is my one of my passions. Just that it's very hard to break into, and that's where my degree is in is anthropology. So, um, 
that that's where that comes from, I'm sure. Um, I'm also the, the youngest, and the youngest has to stand out, so the youngest has to be the one that um, right. performs much. So I think that's you know a little bit of psychology there, a little bit of growing up that I kind of had to stand out with um, two older brothers and um, them getting all the attention and being um, way more athletic sports freak. You know, I'm the oddball, so uh, that's just the way it worked out. Right, and D&D seems to be the gateway drug for a lot of uh, people who end up in 40K or doing 40K oh, stuff. Oh, for sure, yeah. That or Magic the Gathering, I think, has been the two big influencers to people getting into the 40K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, as you say, that era of the 80s and early 90s, uh, I was at high school in the 80s, and it was it was a big deal then in my sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it over there, but I would have been 11, 12, 13 years old at that stage in, in, in the early 80s, and it was really big. D&D, everybody was playing it, lots of people getting into it. So, so you're telling me they printed books back those in those days in New Zealand? They actually had you actually had those. <laughs> I know we're a few years uh, behind everybody else, but yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad to hear. I, have you been to New Zealand? You seem to know about the place a little bit. Um, I, I have not. It is definitely on the bucket list, of course, for Hobbiton, and it's also one of my uh, good 40k friends, pa- uh, Pascal, lives there. I don't know if you know who he is. I'm, you probably do if you're because I'm sure New Zealand's small enough for you to know. <laughs> everybody Musician. knows. Everybody knows Every, everybody. Yeah. So it's definitely on the bucket list once you know this whole global thing gets over with that's yeah, definitely going to yeah. be the next next five years yeah, for sure yeah. all right let's let's get back to the nakaden story so you've you've gone through D. you've gone and bought a box of titanicus you've seen rogue trader and you're interested now in 40k and then you stuck with that what what is it about the, this game that you loved then or maybe that you still love what is it that holds you in 40k well, not today, but definitely then was the lore and just the art style was, I mean, it was very cyberpunk and um, my musical interests, even at that time, were very industrial and metal. So it just fit just hand in glove perfectly into like the punk rock and all my, I was more industrial and more metal. My friends were more punk rock and then they're heavy into the punk rock scene in our area. Um, and so it just, everything just kind of coalesced around that. Even being at a, such a young age, like 12, I, I mean, 89, I guess I was 12 or something like that. But uh, growing up, you just like you, it, kind of just a confluence of all those influences going together, um, just really led to being that. And also, I would say the bigger thing too is that uh, my first two jobs were basically kind of 40k adjacent or 40k directly related. I worked for a company called Epicast, which was one of the f- companies before Forgeworld that got access to licensing um, resin cast models for Warhammer 40k. That was actually my second job. But first, I was at a game store, so that just kind of tells the story of how I kind of just fell in love with 40k and just stayed with it. Yeah, and you're still you're still with it. Although your comment just then, maybe see when you said not so much now with the law and the artwork. Do you feel like it's not what it was? Have you lost a, a little bit of love in that area? Um, no, it's just changed. It's just you know nostalgia. It's just the nostalgia right. for that. I would say. I mean, I still. I mean, I still read the the lore books. You know, um, Guy Haley's my favorite author for, um, and I read all his books. I'm kind of particular. Um, I think what happened is probably, you know, I kind of stopped this little stickler. I went to college and kind of got a little more erudite in my behavior. And it's sort of like uh, I decided I wouldn't read any of the novels until like five years ago. And I was like, hey, you you know, I can't just be like reading only uh, (laughs) like uh, uh, Hemingway and uh, Shakespeare and things like that or Milton. I have to I have to, you know, be open to pop pop art and pop novels and stuff like that. So it's only been kind of a recent thing for me to get it back into it. So I definitely like the lore. I still like it as much today, but there was just something, you know, like I said, punk rock, something kind of edgy yeah. about it back then. And that's just always going to be an Italian thing. I don't think it's ever going to go away. But the lore is fine now. Uh, I would say not so much the, the, the kitty novels, but everything else is still great. The art is fantastic. Of course, digital artists have made things amazing for Warmer 40K, so I really appreciate that. But there's something about 
I'm a Blanche guy. I'm kind of a Blanche art uh, fanatic. I'm kind of a person that likes, you know, the heavy metal art style of yeah. the 80s and late 70s. And so that's gone now. So it's much more slick and much more digital. I still love that. But, you know, it's just, like I said, a nostalgia thing. And that's, you know, it's always going to be one place in my heart. So it's just never, nothing's ever going to beat that. And then that's fine. You know, I don't think it's ever diminished why I play 40 carry. I love it. Right. And so you do love it. You love playing. You go to tournaments too, right? I've seen on your Facebook uh, photographs of, of being at tournaments like the LVO. When did that become a thing for you? When did you move from just loving the art and the lore into actually playing the game and enjoying the competitive side of it as well? Well, it kind of started really with the blog. Um, I, God, the blog, I think, is 2009 now. If I want to finally correct, I could be wrong. But really started with that. It's um, I have my, my childhood best friend moved up to Seattle, and so I would go visit him. And um, that area had a bigger tournament scene than we did, and so I would just go to a tournament a year there. And so I would go and play in that. Um, at this point in my life, I'm definitely, if I play, it's RTTs. I go and cover the GTs, so I don't play in those. And that's kind of just how it evolved. But it, basically, I'd say 2009 is when I really just said, hey, I'm going to make this competitive and make it a little more serious. And I kind of think that, you know, as a, as a kind of history ma- lore master for 40K, when the whole turnover of people came of age and got out of magic and became older and had a more disposable income, they kind of switched to 40K as their competitive game. And so I kind of just timed my life with that, and that's just kind of how it developed. Were you good at it? Um, average, you know, not, you know, not the bottom tier, not the top tier, but you know, I would, you know, I, my goal was to be, if I go to an RTT, go two and one, that was my goal. And that was, that's, that was pretty standard for the beginning. Yeah. Um, I'm also kind of one of those players that wants to, wants to have a special butterfly list that wants to be like, Oh, if I win, it's going to be extra points because it was such a special butterfly. So I probably handicapped myself in a way. Um, but as it comes to the game now, it's so hard to tell because of the issues we're going on right now. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I, that's kind of my playing style. And that's I, I'm a pretty competitive player. And um, if you uh, if you ever ask Adrian or people I play against, I, if, especially if I'm your friend, I can rage. So <laughs> they can't see the competitive side. Cause that's definitely that's definitely growing up with two older brothers and uh, being competitive. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where that comes out in that. So. Uh... I want to uh, talk a little bit about the blog now because you you brought it up. You started that in 2009. Was that the original Blood of Kittens or did you just start blogging about events that you had gone to and that turned into Blood of Kittens? What was the progress there? Uh, no, the progress, progress there was really strategic. Um, it's more strategic than people think. I started a blog because blogs are a big thing. Blogger was huge then. Um, Bella Lost Souls had just I – mean, Bella Lost Souls was like two years old maybe at that point maybe a year, maybe something like that, and um, it just, there's just a new uh, era of competitive bloggers coming out and just news bloggers for 40K, and it was really strategic. I just thought there was a voice not being heard to fight, kind of fight back against the whole idea of ultra-competitiveness, um, being part of the game and trying to make this game into something that I don't think it is now or will ever really be until certain things get fixed when it comes to rules, and 40K, uh, like I said, Games Workshop has done a really good job of trying to make it a more competitive game in a certain sense. But it was very strategic. It was very much, like I said, the evocative name I created for it. It was, um, not to name names, but there's definitely there was a series of uh, um, bloggers at the time that were really kind of toxic to the game in a certain sense, and so I said, you know what, I need to call these people out and it just so happened that I would also catch, it just so happened I'd go to events and just see uh, a certain class of players, you know, maybe one or two that were just blatant cheaters, just abusing people mentally and also on the actual dice, on the actual game part of the thing. And so I just felt that that needed to be, a voice needed to be ch- taken out and spoken. So it was kind of defaulting to 
being kind of a news a news uh, like call out call out blog basically um, is kind of where the niche I wanted to find, and I've kind of stuck with that, and that's kind of been where I've always been in. Right, and so you you started out with this idea that you wanted to be the voice of the the little guy or the common man or the whatever it, whatever it is that you know that that alternate kind of spokesperson. And did you get a lot of support for that idea in the early days, like initially straight away? Were people on board? Yeah, with that? it was. I I think I started it in April, and by by August, um, you know, it just basically you also looked. I mean, like I said, it was very strategic. I was no, I I felt like I knew what I was doing. I was like. It's a it's a kind of classic that you see on YouTube and comments and and Twitter for sure big time these days. But back then it was kind of nascent. Is that I decided you know there's these two there's these people out there that are really kind of toxic. You know what? I'm just gonna have blog posts going at them, poking the bear until they poke back. Not realizing that you don't want to. They they didn't of course realize that the way you give someone powers by actually acknowledging they exist is right. really the much the first step. Yeah. So I kind of use that to my advantage and. I started in April, and by August, people were taking notice, and um, a lot of people that were, a lot of people would send me private messages saying, "Hey, I'm so glad you did this. I'm gonna, you know, um, CC. I'm gonna not CC, but I'm gonna, you know, spread this to my community and all that stuff." So it kind of took off really quickly, and I, I mean, I honestly, I was surprised, of course, but there was definitely strategic, strategic what I was planning and what I was doing, and so I felt that I was really happy that it executed and it actually worked. It's interesting. I uh, spoke to Nick Nanavati in an episode. Uh, one or two episodes ago and talking to him about the history of tournaments and he commented a little bit on that environment that existed for a period of time in tournaments and he feels like it's not that way now. My own experience is not as long as yours or his but I can tell you that the tournaments I've been to now, people are great. It's amazing. You know, there's just a whole different vibe now than than it appears there was five or ten years ago. Do you think that's true? I, he is totally he's totally right and you know uh, he, he's completely right about that that definitely like I mean I would literally back in the day I would have every weekend if and this is also remember this is a time where there wasn't as many grand tournaments or tournaments but I could get a story almost every other week of someone cheating something happening but these days I maybe get uh, and this is fine this is Michael it's not like I mean blood of kittens it makes me it makes me some 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 petty cash for me to play around with but it's definitely not a full-time job my goal is to make the community better even though I'm sure a thousand people will say that's not the case that I'm out there to destroy the community but at the same time uh, the fact that I'm down to like maybe three articles a year about calling out cheaters or saying this is bad behavior is awesome I'm I'm really happy about that that I'd only have to do that that much. Instead of where in the past, I'd be like every other week I'd get a video or some images or a story from someone saying, hey, this is what happened. So uh, I definitely agree with Nick. It's totally true that the game has evolved and become better. And I also have to say that <laughs> I would have to say that I don't think it was Games Workshop's intention in no way, but when 6th and 7th edition happened, it really threw out a lot of those toxic players because the game was so broken or just so weird that they really just left the hobby and it just became something where they just couldn't handle it. And so, and that just was a games mechanics thing. So, and just how Games Workshop responded to the community. So I think that's also a big part of it. But um, in general, like you said, yeah, he's totally right. The community is much more, much, much better it is. But I would say um, one thing is that there is a coal, I would say that the only caveat to that is that there is, I feel like a coalition of we're going to get a situation where there's going to be, and I kind of call it out a, a lot of times, that there is centers of good old boys uh, groups where it's just like we're going to look out for each other, and I say clubs and groups and things like that, 
And that is a toxic potential there where people won't call out people's other shenanigans because they're friends of friends. And that's why I've always tried to keep a slight hand, you know, hands-off distance from a lot of the competitive players because I don't necessarily, not, I'm going to use this, it's not a really true word, but I'm just going to use it, corrupted by my friendship or my closeness with them and I won't be objective to what they're doing. Right. What's the craziest thing? If you go back to the the back in the day when you were you know calling the stuff out all the time, or or that first inspired you to get in, what's some of the craziest stuff you saw? Can you think of specific incidents? Uh, yeah, the first big one was I videotaped, I videotaped on an iPhone five or four or whatever it was, a guy in a in the final round just basically browbeating uh, another opponent in a in a final game, just blatantly cheating, just making up rules, and his opponent would not call him off on it. Just literally filming, and, the, and everyone knew I was filming. The guy that was doing it to the person was knew I was filming. There wasn't any, there wasn't any, like uh, you know, I would, you know, it wasn't like anyone didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who I was, and I posted that online, and people flipped out, and that basically forced that guy to leave the competitive scene. He since made, he since opened up his own hobby store, but for the most part, 90%, he doesn't play competitively on that. But that was kind of like, like, oh my goodness, it kind of showed the power in which. Uh, you know, video had for 40k, and of course, you know, the world sees the power of video right now from the hands of a normal person. But that really stuck out me as a, you know, uh, as a kid. Is is was that whole episode? I mean, besides that, I mean, not as a kid, but as when I started the blog. Uh, but ha- besides that, I mean, you know, just kind of L- <laughs> every year. There's always something at LVO. Um, there was one. There was one incident. Um, not to go into. Uh, details. I don't want any names, of course. It was a couple years ago at a large event where um, I did a I did some filming, but I also really just kind of chronicled uh, two bad behavior from two opponents. It was kind of it was a high high stakes game, but it wasn't like a top table. It wasn't like top top table. But I basically was just like both these players are being insane and like it almost came to blows and like fights outside. And I just posted like, hey. Both you guys, you you were stupid for this, you were stupid for that. But what really sticked out in my mind is that one of the guys I called out, one of the guys was like, yeah, I was dumb. The other guy was like, he got all his friends. And I was talking, this is kind of referring back to the good old boys thing, is that he got all his friends to kind of flood my Facebook and be like, no, you're wrong, you're the stupid one, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you crazy? Didn't you see the video? Everyone is confirming this story. I don't know. It was kind of like the fake, like trying to like rewrite history sort of thing. And so those kind of two instances kind of stick in my mind, just kind of... Like I said, I, my my degree's in anthropology, so it's kind of like sticks out of me, kind of a sociological like right, tactics right. and like sort of sort of mentality. So I guess those two events are the like, kinds of see my but there's thousands of. I mean, there, I mean every <laughs> year there'd be something at LVO, you know, like of course the infamous um, Alex Fennel um, Tony Grappando game. That's the most infamous one, I think. Um, just because it got a billionaire involved. So uh, there's just stuff like that, of course. So uh, your degree's in anthropology, and uh, you've started uh, this. What do you do outside of this kind of thing, if you don't mind telling me? It feels like you should be in journalism. Um, oh. That's oh, well, not the career path about, you took. Yeah, no. I, I, I will want to stay, uh, say up front before I go into answering your question, and this is a question I always get a lot of times, especially when people want to criticize me, which is fine. I, take, I, I love criticism. You know, There's always ways to improve, but people like to call me a journalist for 40K, and I just always want to tell people I'm an editorialist or a satirist, and that my job is not to be a journalist. Sure, I report from events, and I do just basically copy and paste what the results are and just give maybe a couple words of editorializing of the event. 
but for the most part, I'm not a journalist and never was my intention to be a journalist, really. Um, it's just kind of, you know, uh, shining a light on things doesn't necessarily make you a journalist, you know, so uh, that just kind of, I want to get that out there. But um, what I do outside of this, I just work a normal nine to five job. I'm a global operations manager for a company that makes saunas. So just kind of basic, <laughs> kind of basic thing. Uh, they, they're they pretty cool company. Uh, we do health and wellness things, but um, it's really boring. So we don't really want to talk about it. But yeah, right. just a general just nine to five guy, nothing that. 40K is my hobby, the blog's my hobby, and all that stuff is my hobby. <laughs> so around about 10 years ago, you, you, you did some YouTube videos. You had your blog going, and then you, you start putting up some YouTube videos. And then uh, it looks like, and I might have got this wrong, but in my little bit of research, it looks like you've done a few for a couple of years, and then there's a big gap. And then maybe seven, eight months ago, you start again on the YouTube, only this time it looks like you're a little more committed and you've got some – You've got some short-form battle reports happening now over the past few months. So is this a new focus for you? Um, I wouldn't say it's a new focus. I'm saying it's just a pandemic-related focus. Okay. Um, we'll see what happens afterwards. Uh, you know, I try to do it once a week, um, so or just one post a week. So I'm not really heavily invested. But I just felt like everyone's doing it. Might as well do it. And the thing is, you know, it, I can you know link back to my website. It, you know, there's just there's a lot of marketing reasons to do it. Um, just especially with how things, but you know, the, the space is so cluttered and filled now. It's, it's hard to get your voice out even for someone as established as my blog is. It's just a different medium and it's fun. You know, I, I, uh, you know, you're stuck, you're stuck and you got a couple stimulus checks. So you might as well spend that money on some good things. So I bought some right. lighting equipment and that sort of thing. So that's just how it evolved. You enjoy doing the battle reports? Yeah, they're fun. I that was definitely something that was uh, I I was trying to find about and it wasn't like I was my intention to first off, but I was like, you know what? What's missing from battle reports online? And there's just no short form. There's no real time lapse um, in the game. And so I was like, let's combine these two to make these short form uh, things, you know. And you know, obviously, a lot of people I've gotten a lot of good feedback from, it, and people really do enjoy them. But they're really quick to make, easy to make. Um, but of course, there's also, and you know, I've said this many times. Is also when it comes to my blog, is that I'm not for everyone, and I've definitely gotten critiques like, "Oh, I don't like this. You need to, you know, give me descriptions of what's going on." I'm like, "Well, that's not my point. I'm making this for myself. I'm making this for fun. This is how the format is. It's not changing." So yeah, uh, yeah. that's kind of how it works. Well, I think, you know what? This is the thing. You in any in any line of business anywhere, you can't please all of the people all of the time. If people want a long form descriptive battle report, there are many many options. You're offering yeah, yeah. you're offering short form, and if that's what they want, then they'll come and find that from you. That's great. So let's uh, let's go to COVID because we've we've kind of mentioned it, danced across it a couple of times. How have you coped with COVID? Um, well, as you probably well aware, America has a just disjointed reaction to COVID. So um, I'm in California, so we are definitely one of the stricter states um, for sure. So um, at the beginning, it was just kind. Of, I mean, I wouldn't say I would put the word. I'll put air quotes around fun, but it was new and novel. Um, yeah. And so during the summer, we kind of got back to our normal reality, and that's where you know that's where the uh, battle reports came out. And people might notice I haven't had a battle report in a long time. That's because we're in lockdown. So I would say this: there's definitely fatigue, fatigue on my parts. I haven't been able to see my friends. I haven't been able, like, to give an instance. I haven't been able to see Adrian. I was supposed to do battle reports, more battle reports for Tabletop Titans. I am not able to do that because he has to keep his pod as small as possible. Um, so it's definitely had an effect, but personally, I would say that, but on the community as a whole, I kind of wrote an article about this just a couple days ago about how the community is, I, I, 
it's stronger than I ever thought it was because people can't play games. And it's kind of proven Games Workshop's thesis since the beginning that this is a hobby, not a game. That Games Workshop's, you know, value has gone only up in the pandemic because people are stuck home still buying models and painting them, not necessarily being able to play the game. So for me personally, I'd say it's at this point, it's getting really, really frustrating and really, really kind of emotionally straining. But I think as for the community, it's kind of been a positive because it's kind of refocused everyone on the core things they liked about the game, like about the hobby, and not necessarily the game itself. Right. That actually, and again, I don't want to go backwards, but you touched on this earlier: Games Workshop in sixth and seventh, and then certainly in eighth and ninth, a big focus, and it's right at the start of the book. The most important rule is have fun. Right. That's like have fun with your friends. This is what it's supposed to be about: is just enjoyment of of the hobby. So that's that's really coming from them. It's a big focus, and you're kind of saying COVID's helped us realize that in a way. Exactly. I mean, like when the first lockdown happened, right away, Game Workshop would say, "Hey, they 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 marketed this is all you know." Part of it, of course, is um, most of it. I say not most, not more. Part of it, most of it, is marketing, being like, "Hey, we need to get continue people to get enjoyed in the game." They went straight to being like, "Hey, paint an army. Let's focus on having articles about being painting an army and just kind of hammering that home and being like, "Oh yeah, you're stuck at home. What can you do?" You can paint your models that are gray, right? So (laughs) (laughs) that it kind of reminds you, let's release some books. And so it's just that sort of thing where it's like people that are especially competitive are like, oh, yeah, now I can actually get my army painted and done, especially with how the rules were released in such a way that it was, you know, more elongated. And especially now this year with their announcement of basically every other month is going to be different instead of just like the browbeating us with releases. So it's going to be kind of it's going to be kind of interesting seeing this year how it's going to develop. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, what does this year hold for you? Do you think, with uh, particularly you know with Blood of Kittens and and the YouTubing, how do you see this year playing out for you? Um, well, it all demands on the vaccine and the rollouts for that, right? Um, I'm hoping that it's you know fingers crossed that it'll be around. Uh, I'm going to guess I'm going to be conservative and say June. I'll be able to get my two shots. And uh, I definitely have plans. Uh, um, I, for part of me, always wants to never like really give up my plans because I always feel like there's such good ideas that they're going to be stolen. But um, so I don't necessarily want to go into what my plans are for the blog. It's just going to. I would say it's easy for the blog. The YouTube, I do have plans for. I do have some kind of out there ideas to try that I don't want to say right now because sure. I think there's other places that can do it better than me because they're already established. So I don't want to be the one that gives up that ghost. Yet. No, you keep your powder um, dry on that front. That's fair exactly, enough. Exactly, okay. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, as for the blog, it's just going to be the same old. Um, it's definitely, I've definitely toned back, not toned back, but I've definitely posted less just because there's less events to talk about, right? So it's just kind of how it works. But I'm just going to kind of focus more on editorializing and kind of just finding ways in which to talk about the game that people can keep their interest in the game, or the hobby, I should say. Um, but yeah, nothing's really a change to the blog. Like I said, I do have plans for the YouTube, and I just don't want to say what they are yet. <laughs> no, fair enough, fair enough. Listen, I've, I've got to be honest with you. I was nervous going into this because of the controversy that you've attracted over the years. But in the process of our conversation, I knew you were fun. In the process of our conversation, in the progress of our conversation, it feels to me like your motivation is never negative. Your motivation is positive. You you want to improve the game and you want to make the environment better, as we said earlier, for the little guy, for the everyday player, for the person who just goes to a tournament hoping for three and three or three and two or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah, that has always been my goal. I mean, and the thing is that, you know, I'm, I'm doing with a with a with a flair, you know, and I also want to say is that especially when I'm editorializing something that's bad that's happened, people, uh, even the people that I'm talking about have to, and you know, 
I wish they would get this, and you know, they shouldn't. They don't have to. They're going to be angry, and they're going to be mad, and they're going to be really frustrated about what I'm saying. But 80% of what I'm writing is just 80% of what the the actual content of the words is is humor and satire and making fun of them in a way that is just kind of you know in using the English language to, to my advantage. So, but the core that the other 20% is actually the story of saying, hey, you cheated in this way. Stop doing it. And I have to say, even though people will be like, oh, I'm never going to give in to Tasty Taster. I'm never going to do that. I have seen nine out of ten times, and this is, I'm, this is not like me trying to humble brag or brag in a way, is that I have seen behavior change. I have seen people I've called out the next year at tournaments being completely chill and not acting that way. I've seen people, like I said, leave the hobby completely for good, and everyone's happier for it. So, or they realize personally that they've been a toxic influence, even though they don't want to admit it to me that I was the catalyst or that you know, I catalyst everyone else telling them to stop doing it. You know, So th like I said, like what you described is exactly my intention and my goal. And I wouldn't say, you know, you use the word little guy. I wouldn't just say the little guy. I would say this is for everyone. This is for, I don't want Nick Nanavati going into a final game and having to fight Tony Grappando and have him not having to be on edge. It's not just for the little guy. It's for everyone. So it's just right. for every player, and that that's kind of the goal. When you shine a light on something, some t one of two things is going to happen. Either the person in that light is going to go, holy crap, I didn't realize I was doing this. You're right. Now I see, and I will change. Or the person in the light is going to go, oh, I didn't want this light on me because I've known all along, and they will get out of the light and go away. Or the th I would say the third is that, they say, "Hey, you're 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 a mean person. I don't like you. I hate you. You shouldn't listen. You shouldn't listen to Tasty Taste. He's totally wrong. Everything he's saying is fabricated. But guess what? I'm going to change. You'll see. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, that yeah. that seems to be a lot happens as well. Now, one more thing before I let you go, because I saw this on your website. No one ever begrudges someone who's putting in a lot of work, also trying to get some reimbursement somehow. You're an Amazon affiliate. Can you explain to me how that works? What does that mean?" So yeah, so Amazon affiliate. So anyone can sign up for it. It's very inexpensive. But basically, uh, the simple thing is, and you know, there's tons of other affiliate groups. Amazon just happens to be the biggest and best one. Is that you basically, if you click on my ad that has an Amazon link to a 40k product, and you buy that product, I get some money. That's all it is. Right. Um, and so, and but the the key what makes Amazon the most powerful is that if that person clicks on that product, says buys the box of Terminators, but in the same, without closing their browser, continues on buying diapers, air, uh, you know, gift cards. I also get money for that. So as long as they don't close that browser and keep that original link as their their avenue, I get money. So that's what comes up. I'm surprised no one. I mean, especially like blood, like um, like spiky bits and the big kind of more clickbaity sites. I'm surprised they haven't taken it. It's actually a, a very underappreciated, underused, <laughs> underused thing right. that you know just you know. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I'm I'm. I, I'll just be straight up. I'm only getting like a hundred dollars a month from it, but it's a hundred dollars. Yeah, can't, you know, can't uh, you can't you can't sneeze at that. And that kind of pays hosting fees and that sort of stuff, right? So exactly, yeah, yeah. So uh, listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If if people want to support Blood of Kittens, go click on those links and keep the, <laughs> yeah. keep, keep the browser open and keep on shopping. Uh, thank you for your time, Nick. Really appreciate it. You're a lot of fun, and yeah. it's been uh, it's been great getting to know you a little bit. Uh, we encourage people yeah, to you. go to Blood of Kittens, keep an eye on the YouTube, and support the channel in any way they can. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. My thanks to Nick Hayden. The link to Blood of Kittens is in our show notes. You can find all of our episodes at 40kgamechangers.com. Conversations with Lawrence from Tabletop Tactics and Winters and the Tabletop Titans team, among many others. 
Find us on Facebook and Instagram and like us there for daily updates. Next week, the man who created 40K, Rick Priestley, gives us some amazing insights into how it all began. Until then, I'm Steve Joll, and this has been 40K Game Changers. 